0: Hello again! In order not to annoy the audience with three hour episodes, I splitted this topic in two parts. In the first one, we talked about why do people help or not, how do the others influence our behavior, bystander effect, diffusion of responsibility, pluralistic ignorance, the basic terms we should know now. In the following minutes, however, we're going to discuss briefly two new things. The typical characteristics of helpers and victims that affect the fact of giving or receiving help and the situational factors that affect our helping behavior. Without further delay, let's go with the first question. Are there any specific characteristics that make us help? Of course there are, such as the altruistic personality. Altruism is a behavior that doesn't benefit the helper. And people who is empathetic, agreeable and sympathetic are more likely to be altruistic and more likely to help. We know that the word empathy is very trendy nowadays but we should make a difference between being empathetic and being perspective-taking, because there is a a difference there. The empathetic concern is characterized as an emotional response to taking somebody's hardship, while perspective-taking or seeing someone's side is defined as taking on another's point of view through the lens of our own personal goals and intentions. We could say that empathy is feeling-based and perspective-taking is cognition-based. Altruism then is one indicator of prosocial behavior and this prosocial behavior simply refers to those acts that are valued positively by society because, for instance, they'll have positive consequences. We can relate prosocial behavior with religion, for example, because most of them predict goodwill and good actions. Nevertheless, be careful because some of them also have dangerous messages. Religion in many occasions is one of the main pillars of a culture. And culture here is very important because Uh, that influences in the individualistic or collectivistic values of the territory and of course religion reinforces these values for instance western culture is individualistic 100% and that can make us think twice before helping but this is not a label we should worry about because who's gonna give help doesn't matter the culture they come from someone who's truly likely to help is that person who's trained to handle emergency situations, such as nurses, firefighters, or why not, psychologists. And it doesn't matter if we study in Rotterdam or in New Delhi. Food? Yeah. And mood matters too. People who feel good are much more likely to help. People who hear good news on the radio express greater attraction towards strangers. Why? Because if they feel bad, they concentrate on themselves and their worries. They are less concerned then with the welfare of others and help others less. But hey, not all bad moods reduce helping. In some occasions, anger, for example, can lead to prosocial behavior. So you really want to change what surrounds you, what's wrong around you and you want to fight against injustice. Well, I don't know if I'm discovering you a new world because Uh, It it seems that everything that I'm saying sounds pretty much like common sense, right? Uh, We need some beef for the following minutes, and I have some controversial questions to discuss here. For instance, who's more likely to help? A man or a woman? A left-wing or a right-wing person? The gender behavior in this context, in my opinion, is fascinating. It has so many plot twists, and let me uh, explain why. In general, women have more prosocial jobs, right? Such as nursing, teaching, medical assistants, and we sometimes think that they are more caring than men. Also, research shows that women score higher than men in agreeableness, empathy, and communion. Alert number one. is often measured with surveys and by asking people about their own traits. That means that the real result is not that women are more likely to help. It means that women think about themselves as being more helpful and more prosocial compared with how men think of themselves. To prove that, Eagli and Crowley made a meta-analysis in 1986 and said that in the 62% of the studies that they analyzed, men were more likely to help than women. Alert number 2. It's true that men are more likely to help, but what does help mean? because in these studies was shown that men and women help in different ways. Women are more likely to volunteer time, provide care, spend time giving help, whereas men are more likely to help in a potentially dangerous situation, but only if they don't have to spend much time. Plus, men are more likely to help when no others will know that they have helped. Thus, men are pro-social as a way to boost their own social status at least a bit. Women on the other hand volunteer their time and pay less attention about who's looking. That's the reason why more people reported seeing more men than women helping in the street. In conclusion, men help more times, it's true, and women help less times but better each time they do. Or at least they dedicate more time when they help. And let me introduce an extra tip, this one is for free. If you're an attractive woman, you have many more chances to be helped by a man than vice-versa. And if this wasn't enough, let's add more controversy to the topic. And this time will be with the help of biology, biological facts. In stressful situations, hormonal responses, including increases in oxytocin, make women seek safety for both themselves and close others, especially their offspring. And there's an experiment with babies less than a year old, in which boys look longer at a truck than a, than a doll, whereas girls looked longer at a doll. And this is shown in, in primates too. Well the conclusion of the study was that females have an inherent preference for people over things, whereas males show interest in things before people. My question, my personal question is. Will these biological facts contribute to perpetuate the roles of gender? Will men always be linked to trucks and women to dolls because of our genetic background? You can think about it tonight in the roofed Rooftop, but now we need to move on political values. In terms of political ideology, Hayden Joseph said that people take into account five principles in order to decide whom, how and when to help. 1. Preventing harm to others. 2. Ensuring fair treatment to all three, being loyal to one's group, four, respecting authority, and five, maintain purity in one's action. Taking into account these five issues, progressist people vote more in favor of social programs and tend to support providing assistance to people regardless of how they got there. So they beg mostly for the two first principles, which are preventing harm to others and ensuring fair treatment treatment to all. On the other hand, conservatives prioritize The three last ones that are being loyal to the group, respecting authority and maintain purity. So we can say that depending on your ideology, your preference on helping is different. It doesn't mean that you help more or less. It just means that you help differently. Of course, everyone has different priorities when help is needed, as we can see, but do you think they help because they find it rewarding or because they want to earn a reward? If a person helps and enjoys it without any further objectives, that is called intrinsic motivation. But if someone helps in order to get a reward or avoid punishment, maybe, that's called extrinsic motivation. And as we might expect, those who help for intrinsic reasons show higher levels of empathy and report feeling a stronger connection to others. Everything till this moment summarizes how are people who's likely to help. But, as the Spanish philosopher Ortega y Gasset said, I am myself plus my circumstances. Yeah, I can be very kind and altruistic, but the situational factors may prevent me from helping. Do you remember the Good Samaritan experiment? The participants, despite being theology students, and they are presumably helpful, didn't help a homeless man in their way to class. They were in a hurry and maybe because of that they didn't see the victim, or maybe because the cost of helping. They didn't act. This was only an experiment, fortunately, but rush do happen, especially in big cities. And this is an important situational factor linked to the Urban Overload Hypothesis. This theory was proposed by the popular Stanley Milgram and states that living in a dense urban area exposes people to more stimulation, noise, etc. So to deal with it, people learn to cope by shutting out these sounds. Thus, city dwellers might sometimes find difficult to distinguish a real cries of help. If you remember, we started the previous episode with the kid Genovese case. Um, do you think that her neighbors experienced these city overstimuli and ignored screams? To prove this theory, Levin and his colleagues made an experiment in 24 different cities of the USA. They found that it was easier to find help in smaller communities than in bigger ones. Perhaps rural people care more because they feel less crowded. However, however, what matters is where you currently live, not where you were born and raised. Actually, where you live predicts better how helpful you are. Yeah, demographic variables are crucial when it comes to helping. But cultural environment matters too, and if you come from a Western culture, the findings won't make you very happy. Because as we said before, individualistic societies such as USA or Western Europe usually think twice before helping. And this could be because they rely more on the Fornham's just world hypothesis. Do you remember it? Uh, The one that stated that you get what you deserve? So, that one. And that isn't that common in collectivistic societies. Another situational factor is the image reparation hypothesis. What's this? Well, people like to make amends for the mistake. That's not weird, right? If you hurt someone or someone's belongings, you will feel kind of bad and with low self-esteem. Okay, so this hypothesis says that uh, you restore your self-esteem by helping another person. This guilty feeling might help anyone in need, not necessarily the person you hurt. There was an experiment which consisted in a participant who accidentally broke someone's camera. Don't worry, because the someone was a confederate, and after the accident, the participant had the chance to help someone in need. Surprisingly or not, those who broke the camera of the confederate were more likely to help. And there's another theory a little bit more darker which is the terror management theory that states that we are more likely to help if we realize about our own death yeah but (laughs) what did you expect anyway we're not going to finish the episode in the dark side of the forest we're gonna conclude it uh, talking about children children and pro-social behavior we said before that a main characteristic of helpers are the altruism and empathy And it's true, of course, but how did they learn to be like that? Education, my friends. Education is a situational factor. Research shows that prosocial behavior is acquired in childhood. And, well, childhood is a critical period for learning. And during this time, there are three ways in which kids can learn how to be prosocial. One, giving instructions. Telling children to be helpful to others. And it works, but the instructor must behave consistently. If you are a mother or a father and don't want to find your kid smoking pot in the kitchen at 2am with a bowl with milk and cereals, you should stop doing it too. 2. Using Reinforcement Rewarded children are more likely to offer help again, simple as that, but don't reward with pot, try not to, please. 3. Exposure Models That's even more effective than reinforcement. This means that watching someone else helping another is a powerful form of learning. If you are an active listener, I'm sure you are, you would have noticed that we talked about modeling in the previous episode. Check it out, because indeed, this doesn't only work on children, adults can also be influenced by a helpful model. But we said we were going to finish with children, and there are some experiments that show that kids who watch TV comedies that include a moral lesson were more likely to be prosocial than children who did not. And Another experiment showed that uh, well, many children from different cultures played a variety of both prosocial and violent video games, and when the content was prosocial, the participants acted in more helpful ways. I think it would be a little bit dry to finish the episode like this, so I'm gonna play some children vines, okay? So you can have a, a, a rest and process all the information we've been discussing. Enjoy the day and see you in the next episode. Do you want a sister? No. What do you want? Pizza rolls. You want pizza rolls? Yeah. Okay. On the couch there, that's a monster? That's a monster. Are you sure that's not your sister? It's not my sister. It's a monster. But I think that's kind of selfish. I'm uh-huh. not. Selfish. What is selfish? What does that mean? Do you know what that means? It means fish. It means fish? Yeah. So and I'm not being fish. You're not being fish? I'm not. Look at all those chickens. Sam, say frog. Suck. Say frog. Fuck. Frog. Say- Suck. fuck. So you know you can't say any bad words? Yeah. You know the words I don't like you to say? Yeah, we can't say shut up. No, that's not a nice word. Yeah, we can't say fucking asshole. No, don't say that word. That's a very bad word. Yeah, that's a very bad word.